0: As many of you know, uh, I grew up in the church. Um, I don't remember a time when I ever was not in the church. Um, My dad has been a pastor for over 40 years, actually I think just celebrated 50 years. And so I had the opportunity for much of my growing up years not only to try to figure out and navigate my own faith journey, um, but also to get a front row seat at watching the faith journey of other people. And as I watched and observed this, there's a few things as a kid that stood out to me that I reflect on now. And, and one of the things that stood out to me as a, as a kid, I remember this very distinctly, that um, um, if you went to hell, you would burn forever, and I certainly don't want to go there. That was one of the clear messages that I heard as a kid. Um, another one is there's lots of rules and things you're not supposed to do if you're a Christian. Um, another one was you're not a very good Christian unless you follow all the rules. Um, another one was when all the Christians are gone in this event called the rapture, more people become Christians, but they die by use of a guillotine. And this theology came from a crazy Christian movie in the '70s and caused lots of nightmares for me as a kid. You know, so um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of crazy, bizarre things that you know I had this chance to observe. But as I thought about it and thought, um, how do I sort all this out? It, it seemed to me it was a little bit like trying to perpetually learn how to ride a bike. You say, what do you mean perpetually learn how to ride a bike? Don't you just learn how to ride a bike and you just remember even if you haven't done it for a long, long time? But it seemed to me that my journey of faith wasn't quite like that because as I would figure out what following Jesus was all about and and becoming a Christian, I would try to do the things I was supposed to do. It's it's like kind of getting up on that bike and taking the training wheels off and you're taking off down the sidewalk. And yet, as you're heading down the sidewalk, you kind of find something else that interests you and so you... You slow down or you run into something and you stop suddenly and you put the bike aside and, and then you get off the bike and you go do something else. And, and so my faith journey was a lot like that. And whenever an evangelist would come, those are traveling preachers who are very loud and scary when they talk and frighten you half to death, you know, um, when they would come or or when I would go to a week at camp, you know, all of a sudden, oh, I'm going to get back on the bike and I get back on the bike and I'd start figuring out how to do this and and I'd start reading my Bible, stop doing some things I knew I shouldn't be doing and maybe memorizing some verse and I start pedaling and I get going and my path would continue again and then slowly over time it would slow down and stop. And I watch people do this a lot, a lot. And church was all about trying to get people to start riding their bike, trying to get them to stay on the bike, and sometimes being critical of them when they got off the bike. And lots of unhealthy guilt thrown in there in the midst. Over time, I saw people who just decided they didn't want to ride the bike anymore, and they walked away from the bike. And um, I also saw people who seemed to be doing quite well without riding the bike. They were doing fine. They were actually having a blast. Um, But there was something wrong with those people, and I was supposed to avoid those people. And as I thought about this system, this way of of faith, I realized that a lot of us know this system pretty well. Um, A lot of us grew up in this system or have been exposed to this system. And faith is all about the things that you're supposed to be doing, all the rules that you're supposed to be following. And um, lots of don'ts, very few do's. And some of you decided over time, I'm not sure I want to be a part of that system. Um, Some of you have continued to periodically engage in that system. Pick up the bike, put it down, pick up the bike, put it down. And if you have come to have a relationship with Jesus in a setting filled with grace and love and acceptance, it's hard for you to imagine an approach to faith like the one I'm describing. But I wish it was possible for what I had to do with my computer recently to happen for all of us. I had some issues with it, and the, the text said, John, we're going to have to wipe it clean and put everything back in and start all over. And I wish I could do that with everybody's brains as it relates to faith. I wish there was a way to wipe everything clean about all those childhood things and things from our past that, that were painful, that were judgmental, that were, that were hypocritical, and say, could we just start over and could we just start over by looking at what the Bible says about Jesus And let's pay attention to what he did and the way he lived his life and see what we can do to figure out how to follow his example. Because if we were able to do that, what you discover about Jesus is you would discover something very different. You would discover that following Jesus is not about a system. It's not about a prayer that you pray. It's not about a set of rules. It's not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. Following Jesus is all about a relationship. A relationship, and with whatever approach to faith you have, if a relationship with Jesus is not a central part of that, there's something missing with it. There's something missing. There's a couple of pictures in the Bible that illustrate this for us. Um, the first one is a father and a child, a father and a child, and it's a picture that Jesus uses over and over again. And, and one of the things Jesus said is, he said, "I came to this earth so that you might know." That's a relationship, the Father. And he doesn't say that you might know God or a God or a divine being. He says the Father. And the struggle for many of us is that when we, think of the, when we think of a father, we think of our earthly father who, regardless of how good or bad they were, and some have had good fathers and some have not, they're all sinful, they're all imperfect. But God says, I want you to have a view of me as your heavenly father who loves you perfectly the second picture is that of a vine and branches and this is a picture we talk about all the time and jesus said i am the vine and you are the branches and what's the relationship of a vine to the branches the vine is the one that gives the branches what water and and, and nutrients and it gives it everything it needs to do what produce incredible delicious looking fruit And the vine doesn't say to the branch, now you can't grow this way or you have to grow that way or you can't produce this kind of fruit. No. What does Jesus say? He says, if you what? Abide in me. If you stay connected to the vine and I abide in you, stay connected to you, you're going to do what? You're going to produce amazing, amazing fruit. And the last picture, the third picture that Jesus uses is a sheep and shepherd. And this is not one that is familiar to many of us because other than... Um, When we go to the fairs that will be taking place in the next couple weeks and we, you know, kind of scrunch the sheep's fur or the the sheep's wool, we don't really see sheep too often. Um, But Jesus used this analogy. And he didn't say to the shepherds, don't say to the sheep, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. The shepherds make sure the sheep, what, survive and thrive. You, You know, without the shepherd, the sheep would kill themselves. That's what they would do. But the shepherds' responsibility is to make sure that they have a place to eat and a place to sleep and that they're protected and that they're led and that they're cared for. Jesus also said this. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And so there's lots of sheep in the pen, but they all know the voice of their shepherd. You see, everything about Jesus, everything about Jesus was rules-based, not was relationship-based, not rules-based. And if you approach faith in any other way, something is missing. And all throughout the Gospels, Jesus had this one word that he used over and over and over again for people as he invited them into this relationship. And it was this word. It was the word follow. 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 He said over and over again to all different kinds of people, to religious and irreligious, to spiritual and non-spiritual, to rich and to poor, to sick and to healthy, he said, will you come and follow me. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to take an overview and look at what Jesus had to say um, about this whole idea of following him. And over the next couple weeks we're going to look at what following Jesus meant. What does it look like? What does it involve? What's the benefits? What happens if I choose to follow him? And if you're new to CCC, if you're checking out faith, maybe you haven't been to church for a while, someone brought you back, promised you lunch and got you here, um, we're glad that you're here. Because our hope is that this morning that you have an opportunity to take another step forward in whatever following Jesus looks like for you today. If you've been following Jesus for a while, I hope that this morning gives you a chance to clear away some of the stuff that sometimes clouds our vision to see what it is that God really wants in my relationship with Him. So that's what we're going to do over the next four weeks. We're going to look at following Jesus and what does that look like. I'm using some of the the concepts and ideas from a series uh, by Andy Stanley with the same title follow that he preached a few years ago. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Um, If you can turn there on your phones or tablets. If you don't have a Bible, our guys have some and they'll make them available to you. Matthew chapter 9, the Bibles that they're passing out, it's uh, page 790, page 790. Matthew chapter 9, page 790. And Jesus begins here. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. In order to make some sense out of this story, we've got to think back about what the role of a tax collector was. I mean, we don't really understand that concept. We just send someone a big check, and we assume that that's who is responsible for our school taxes. We know if we don't pay that, we'll get into lots of trouble. We don't know anything about the person other than that. In those days, it was very different. Um the tax collector was a despised person was a hated person was a person if you can think of the worst possible things you wouldn't want to do to people it would be to the tax collector it would kind of be like imagine a guy who's 22 lives in his parents house doesn't have a job and he hangs out behind the local turkey hill and when middle schoolers come there to get candy or a slushy he's trying to sell them drugs If you've got middle schoolers, imagine how you'd feel towards that person right now if they tried to do that to your kid. And that's how people felt about tax collector. Um, people were literally disgusted with them. You say, why were they viewed in such a horrible way? Well, the, the way the system worked in that day is Rome, who is the controlling power of that day, they would sell the rights to collect taxes to all the local regions or all the local districts, and they would auction them off. Well, you can imagine, if they're auctioning off the right to collect taxes, the, the bid is going to go to someone who's pretty wealthy. So someone's pretty wealthy wins the bid, but they don't actually collect the taxes themselves. They go and they hire someone from the local community to go out and collect the taxes. And this is probably someone who's a little bit of an outcast, someone who maybe can't life hasn't worked out real well for them and this is the person that gets hired and so the wealthy person takes their cut sends it to Rome and they say this is how much you have to charge then the local tax collector is able to put his cut on top of that and he could set the rate at anything he could get out of people and they had taxes for everything a bridge tax a food tax a poll tax a crop tax an animal tax a harbor tax a wine tax a property tax taxes on everything And so these people were well paid, but they were essentially viewed as traitors in their own community. And so Jesus walks up to this guy who's a tax collector, and you think, what would Jesus say to someone who's kind of sold their soul to the devil? That's kind of what this guy has done. And and you can almost imagine Jesus going up to them and maybe saying something like, does your mother know what you're doing? Your grandfather would be rolling over in his grave if he could see you right now, you know? Didn't your father teach you any better than this, you know? You could almost, especially if he knew the family, right? He would know this individual, likely knew the whole family. Because they came from these small villages of just uh, several hundred people, like maybe a little more than the size of this room. But what did Jesus say to this guy when he showed up to him? He said two words, two words. He says, follow me, follow me. Now imagine if you were one of the people that were already following Jesus. One of the group, if you will and you saw Jesus walk up to this guy, and you were kind of waiting for Jesus to ream the guy out, but instead Jesus says, come on and join the... And you're like, wait a minute, Jesus, wait a minute. You got that wrong. Time out, time out. Not not this guy. He's not allowed. He's not permitted to be part of the group. Because when Jesus invited you, it was a pretty prestigious invitation. You see, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a religious teacher. He was like the top of the community. And if he invited you to be a part of it, Um, That was an incredible privilege But jesus was inviting him to be part of his posse part of his crew part of his gang part of his team And notice jesus didn't ask matthew to do anything. He didn't say you know matthew now if you um, Stop doing this and you go pay everyone back what you've taken from them Just give rome what they deserve then you'll be in good shape and you can come be part of my group No, that's not what jesus said He didn't say clean up your act he didn't say, figure everything out. He didn't say, believe the way I believe. Behave the way I behave. And then, you know, Jesus said, just come. Just come and follow me. And Jesus said this over and over again. Matthew four nineteen, he says it to Andrew and Peter. He says, come and follow me. He says to the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. He says to a man in Luke 9, come and follow me. He says to Philip in John 1, he says, come and follow me. He says in John 8, 12, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then John ten twenty seven he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they come and follow me. So you see, regardless of your background, regardless of your story, regardless of your faith experience, regardless of how much you know and don't know about the Bible, all you have to do is ask yourself this one question, am I following Jesus? Am I following Jesus? Not did I go to church last week, not did I crack open my Bible last week, not that I keep the Ten Commandments, but am I following Jesus? While there, Jesus got invited to dinner. And look what it says in verse ten. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. You know, the amazing thing about the tax collectors is they were such bad guys, they had to get their own category. They didn't even fit under the sinners category. It had to be tax collectors and sinners. They had to have their own special category um, for because of them. And that, these were Matthew's only friends. The only other people he could get to come were other tax collectors and other sinners. I thought about what would be a modern-day parallel, and the, the thing that came to mind is this would be like, You know, going down into the local town or the local city and inviting and having dinner with all the druggies and the hookers. That's who Jesus was having dinner with. And as you think about who Jesus was having dinner with, there's something remarkable about this. And what's remarkable is Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable with people who were not at all like him. He was extraordinarily comfortable with people who were not at all like him all throughout the gospels you never find jesus hanging out in the rabbi's club you never find him doing that you never have him hanging out and having dinner with the other rabbis there's no stories of that the amazing thing is people who were nothing like jesus were comfortable with jesus people who are nothing like jesus were comfortable with jesus something about his love something about his acceptance something about his compassion made him winsome they just wanted to be with him I found myself asking this question who have I spent time with this past week who did I spend time with Um, I spent time with the people I work with spent time with some of you spent time with my family um Spent time with some other parents, watching a football scrimmage, you know. Who did I spend time with? And did I spend time with anybody who was different than me? Different than me. Different ethnicity. Different socioeconomic status. Different age category. Different Occupation. I spend any time with anybody different than me. And as I thought about this question, I realized the only thing that came to mind is I was, Friday, I was at a family ministry picnic because my whole family serves in family ministry. And uh, some of the kids were there, and, and I was playing with some of the kids. I thought, wow, that's about the only time I spent time with someone very different than me. But Jesus did all the time. Something about him. It didn't matter your background, didn't matter your story, didn't matter your past. Jesus would not be put off by you. Because not only does Jesus know everything about you, but the, he, he knows your thoughts. He knows what you thought about last week, last night. He knows your heart. And none of that puts him off, none of that keeps him way away over there. People are comfortable with him. Look at verse eleven. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, what is your teacher why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, some of the religious types were hanging around and, and they wanted to know Jesus they went they said to Jesus' followers, Why is he eating with them and not with us? He never ate with the Pharisees. We have no record of him ever having a meal with the Pharisees. It's like, why doesn't why is he eating with them and not with us? And somehow, we don't really know how, that word got back to Jesus. We have no record of this question ever being answered um, directly. But Jesus makes this statement in verse 12. He says, on hearing this, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, who's Jesus telling this to? We don't have any evidence that he said, excuse me, guys, i got to go out and answer questions." So he goes out and, okay, you guys have some questions over here? Okay, let me fire, let's take care of this so I can get back to my meal. No, that's there's no record of that. Somehow the word got back into Jesus and he says, Well it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Now, based on that analogy, who's the doctor in the story? Who's the doctor? Jesus, right? He's referring to himself. And and who needs the doctor, the healthy or the sick? The sick. Who's Jesus spending time with? The sick, right? And so that would assume that the Pharisees in some bizarre kind of way are healthy. Um, but Jesus is sitting there with the tax collectors, with Matthew. He says, by the way, i got to hang out with the people who are sick. And just kind of imagine Matthew sitting there hearing that. so huh, so you think I'm sick? Yeah, you you are. Did you hear that? You know, he thinks we're sick. Well, we are. Don't, didn't, don't you know that? You know? <laughs> They're high-fiving one another and then going back to eating dinner, you know. They they knew they were sick. Nobody had to tell them. They knew they needed Jesus. Nobody had to convince them. There was no hard feelings. They're like, yeah, that's us. We're messed up and we need Jesus. That's all I know. That's all I know. And I spent a lot of years trying to convince people that they needed Jesus who didn't know they needed Jesus. A lot of years. And I find myself now when God brings me in contact with someone who in the course of our conversation matters of faith come up and I find out that they aren't a Christ follower. If they don't have any interest, I just try to be kind and gracious and courteous to them and move on. Um, Because I think where Jesus went is to the people who were sick, to the people who knew they needed him. And I kind of believe that if God's left me here on this earth to follow him, part of my mission in life is to move towards people who recognize they need Jesus and hopefully be used by God to point them to Jesus. But somehow we kind of mess that up in the church. not quite sure how. Because, first of all, we've gone and said, find people just like you and bring them here. Look around the room, that's kind of obvious, right? I'm saying that in jest. (laughs) Um, But we tend to find people that are just like us, right? And we tend to find people that are kind of okay, they're not sure they need Jesus. And that's what we create a church full of. And somehow I wonder if what Jesus is stirring up, what he's inviting people to, what he's calling them into is saying, what would it look like? What would your life be like is if a part of your life was all about being with people who are very different than you are. Part of your life was with being with people who they recognize they're sick. They know they got messed up lives. They just don't have any idea where to go that God somehow used me to point them to Jesus. Well, if it wasn't enough for Jesus to insult the tax collectors who were okay with that insult, he turns now to the religious leaders. Look okay, how he wraps up. He says, but go and learn what this means. Now, remember, he's talking to the religious scholars. These are the guys that knew everything, and they were teaching everybody. So that's a little bit of a slap in the face there. He says, I desire mercy... And not sacrifice. This is a quote from the book of Hosea, and he said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I thought about that contrast, mercy and sacrifice. Mercy and sacrifice. The way I understand mercy is mercy is when you don't get something you deserve. That's mercy. So you get pulled over, you know your speed, and he gives you a warning, you didn't get something you deserved. You missed the deadline. You're going in to face the boss. You know you're going to catch it for this. And he says, when can you have it done? You give him a new deadline. He says, go get it done. That's mercy. That's mercy. Um, And that's what God says. That's what Jesus says he desires. He desires. He said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And sacrifice really is a picture of, Uh, the Old Testament rules of sacrifice that the the Jewish people were responsible for to make themselves acceptable to God. It was kind of all the rules, all the regulations. God says, I'm really not interested in rules and regulations as it relates to faith. What I'm interested is can you enter people's lives when they don't expect anything good from you and offer that to them? and you know, I started sitting and thinking how often during the course of a week do I am I in a situation where I could offer mercy to someone how how often are you maybe out to eat at a restaurant and 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 the waitress messes up the order and you're like oh that's okay it's food I'll eat it you know and we can enjoy it you know and you just extend some mercy You know, a company that you owe some money to, they mess up the bill. It's higher than it's supposed to be. You have your records. You have your documentation. you got to call back and forth, three or four times. You get bounced from this person to this person to this person. You finally get to the last person. You thank them graciously for helping you, even though they've made your life a little bit miserable and they've taken a chunk of your time. And you just extend them mercy. You know, you told your kids what they have to do and when they have to have it done by, and they missed the deadline. And um, you just choose at that moment in time to extend mercy. By the way, kids, that should only happen occasionally, not all the time, in case you're wondering. Um, You know, how often in the course of a day do we have the opportunity to extend mercy? And... You know, what Jesus says is he says, I desire that. I long for that. I look forward to that. I find myself sometimes when I have this opportunity to extend mercy, I find myself in this situation like, oh, no, I know I should let them off the hook. I really don't want I really want to lay into them. I really want to tell them, all right, thank you. Have a nice day. You know, I don't really look forward to that. But I do it kind of through gritted teeth. And Jesus says, no, no. Well, following me is all about living a life not according to the rules and regulations, but following me is all about people who recognize that, that God loves them so much and He's poured His life out for them as we're going to remember in communion in just a few minutes that they look for opportunities to extend this generosity, this graciousness, this kindness and compassion to people who don't deserve it. And they wonder, why did you do that for me? And the only reason is because of Jesus. You know, I think what Jesus is saying is He's saying that if you aren't really quite sure about this relationship with Jesus, He says, just follow Me. Just follow Me. But if you are following Him, I think his question for you this morning is, are you going to get involved in the lives of some people who are different than you? Who aren't like you? And over time, they really enjoy being with you. And some people whose lives might be a mess, some people whose lives reflect that they really need some help. And the only source of that help is Jesus. You know, I don't think Jesus intended for Christians to be groups of holy huddles, us four and no more. I don't think Jesus ever intended for us to be involved in non-stop Bible study and ignore the needs of suffering people all around us, though I think there's a place for that. He never intended for us to create a church where you have to believe and behave the right way for you to belong and forget that we've been called to partner with others, and invite people to start by following Jesus. You know, the Pharisees' rules were you have to change, and then you can come in. You, know? you have to look like us, you have to act like us, you have to believe like us, you have to behave like us, and then you can become one of us. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Just invite them to follow me. Say, John, that seems overly simplistic. Jesus talked about the message of the gospel being simple, like the faith of a child. And it starts with being willing to follow him. As we close this morning, as I close this morning, there's just a couple thoughts I want you to walk away with. The first is being a sinner doesn't disqualify you, it actually qualifies you for being a follower of Jesus. Because every person who was invited to follow Jesus said, Absolutely, my life is a mess and I need some help. Second of all, being an unbeliever does not disqualify you. You say, well, John, didn't the disciples, didn't they believe? I don't think that they did right away. They didn't quite understand who Jesus was. They didn't know what they got themselves into. It wasn't until after Jesus died and he rose back, he rose, he went back up to heaven. And then they started to figure out, oh, that's who he was. That's what he did. Now I understand. Now I believe. Now I'm willing to give my life for that. Whereas before, they were hiding in a room scared to death. And so you say, John, I'm not sure I can buy into all of this. I don't, believe, I don't, I don't quite believe everything. And, and Jesus says, that's okay. You don't have to believe everything to follow me. Thirdly, this invitation is purely an invitation to a relationship, not a set of rules, not to join a church, not a set of do's and don'ts. Because you know what I'm pretty confident of? I'm pretty confident of that if you say yes to Jesus and you begin to follow him, And you begin to spend time with Him and you begin to learn and discover who He is and all that He's done for you and His incredible love and the amazing love that His Father has for you that you're going to want to find some ways to show that love back to Him by following what He says. And lastly, following Jesus forces me to focus on where I am rather than where you are not. Following Jesus forces me to focus on where I am. Am I following Jesus? Not where you are not. Another way of saying is this, the more conscious I am of the work that God has to do in me, the less critical I am of the work that God has to do in you. And So this morning as I close, just to ask yourself this question, am I following Jesus? And what does that look like? in my life. Will you bow your heads with me and as we do, I just want to give you a moment